Hey, welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin. How you doing, Tom? Don, real good now. That's Don Seckler. I'm Tommy Hilkin, and I'm looking forward to a great day. Yeah, and today we are talking about an all-time great album by Eric wow. Clapton. Got my uh, Clapton shirt on here, rocking oh, the Clapton, which wow, that's I a nice was, shirt. which was given to me by a very generous friend of mine. Yeah, good guy too. Yeah, solid guy, solid yeah, guy. Knows and... where to shop. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're gonna do the album Slow Hand by Eric Clapton, which nice. and again, you know, we talk about these albums where you, you, these records have, you know three four five of their of these artists all-time great songs and and mm -hmm. this is one of it it's a it's kind of a shorter album with uh i think there's only nine songs on it yeah but there's four of clapton's most famous most popular songs so we'll we'll get into that it's a great album and uh, a great time kind of a revitalization of eric clapton's career uh at this point yeah um, for sure so uh, before we get started please like friend subscribe click the buttons do the thing add a review <laughs> and this holiday season while you're gathering oh wait we're not gathering this holiday season while, while you're zooming with your family recommend us to a friend if you like the podcast uh and tom i just wanted to tell you we've had some interesting uh progress we're now have been viewed or 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 actually listened to in 13 different countries including india denmark netherlands uk australia canada ireland i italy italy <laughs> spain bangladesh belgium and nepal so wow. shout out to you people listening in wow. nepal keep it up we're glad to have you on board don congratulations we have gone international my friend <laughs> yeah you're a worldwide sensation my friend for the rest worldwide. of my life i'm an international entertainer that's it <laughs> there you go <laughs> All right. So along with our podcast, we're also working with a charity called Music for Mark. And Tom, tell us about Music for Mark. Yeah. And thanks, Don. Just remember at Christmas time, our podcast is the gift that just keeps giving. You couldn't ask for more. Just, True. you know what I'm saying, Don. Come on. But listen, Music for Mark, it's why we're doing this is to connect with as many people and can help us with our foundation. Our mission is to bring music to the world. Don and I connected through music, truly, when we started to talk to each other, got to know each other, based our conversations around music. So we want to bring music to the world. Our foundation is going to supply kids with musical instruments, musical lessons, anything that can bring music to the world through kids. So think about Music for Mark. If you're thinking, Abusing, bringing music to the world. That's what we want to do. Yeah, head over to musicformark.com and check it out. There's a website up where you can get involved and help us spread music around the world. Nice. So we're going to talk today, like I said, about Eric Clapton's Slow Hand. Talk about the 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 band that he played with. Mm -hmm. uh, the bassist was Carl Randall, drummer uh, Dickie Sims, and Jamie Old occur was the other guitarist all right i don't know if we want to enter but it's called radel carl radel okay great yeah i didn't know how to pronounce okay. <laughs> not good with the pronunciations <laughs> no, and it's these, an important, and, it's an know, important piece in the puzzle but go yeah ahead. so so do you know anything about these guys because i really don't i, I didn't yeah, really well you know what carl radel goes back to clapton for a long long time okay so i'll just fill you in on carl radel because i've seen carl radel in concert a couple times you know carl radel was with uh delaney and bonnie 
uh, where uh, Clapton was hanging out with those guys back right. in his past. Just a great, great musician. But right. I just want to feel he, he died at 37 years old. So he really didn't tour along with Clapton. Wow. He was so in those days. And well, I'm sure we'll get into it. It was heavy drinking, heavy drinking, heavy drinking, heavy drugging. And it took Carl Radel out at 37 years old. Wow. So, yeah, he, yeah. Yep. And, you know, this is 1977. I know what's going on and we'll talk about it. But musically, Carl Radel was a great influence on Clapton. Clapton mm. loved him and would always want to play with him. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. like you said, it was uh, this album was released in November twenty seventh, nineteen seventy seven. So the the very mm -hmm. tail end uh, of seventy seven. There, at the time on the charts in the next year seventy eight, when the album really kind of percolated, you had huge, huge legendary albums that were also popular. You had Rumors by Fleetwood Mac, Ooh. and and you know that album in the, at that time. And this is you know we're getting now into where I'm kind of starting to have those memories because I was you know at this point I was <laughs> I was sixty three, yeah, yeah. So I was you know I was uh, fourteen at this point, and mm. and I remember that Fleetwood Mac album was on the radio every other song, every wow. song on it was was a hit, and it was yep. so popular. A great album, which we'll we'll talk about down the road. Uh, sure. Another thing that was happening was Saturday Night Fever with the Bee Gees and uh, you know a bunch of other artists on there. But the Bee Gees songs on that album are really, really huge pop hits. Uh, a, a little mention here. Uh, I don't want to say anything, but no. Tommy Hilkins, one of his favorite movies of all times is Saturday Night Fever. You might not know it, but you know, I'm a disco kind of guy. <laughs> but great, great album. I just want to share that. The Bee Gees blew it away then. Yeah, yeah, tremendous, and it is a great, great movie with John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, "Some Girls" by the Stones was popular this year. Again, another great legendary right. album, which we're we're definitely going to cover at some yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, there was the Grease soundtrack was also out. Grease was huge. huge. Those songs <laughs> were so popular. Again, John Travolta and um olivia newton john, olivia newton -John. that's right funny I knew how it. you only remember john travolta i'll take care of the women you take care of the guys <laughs> but that's so i mean that that so that soundtrack had a, again another four or five songs that were just enormous yeah. pop songs at that time and then yeah. there, at the end of of uh, 1978 there was 52nd street by billy joel again another album which just hit after hit after hit and very very popular so this album was out there, you know, definitely more blues rock. Uh, you know, it's Eric Clapton. It's going to be blues rock, blues based rock. Yep. And, you know, so it, it kind of stood out because it was it was different than the rest of these albums that were popular. So we had a lot of disco. We had some pop stuff. We had the Stones and then Fleetwood Mac, which is kind of middle of the road, um, you know, type of music. So it, it was actually Eric Clapton's fifth solo album. So if you're not familiar with Clapton before he was a solo artist, he was mm. in Cream and the Yardbirds. And, you know, so he had already been called God in the 60s. He was God yeah. to people. You know, he was the, yep. the great guitar slinger, the number mm -hmm. one guitarist. So he had this whole reputation and then he went solo. And his solo records, you know, quite frankly, before this, the the two that were released before this were really not big albums. So he was kind of in a little bit of a slump and this album kind of became a rebirth for him. Yeah. You know, all this time with Clapton, you got to remember, uh, he's the kind of guy I saw an interview with him. He says it. he's an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. 
So it depends on where he's at. He's a tremendously talented guy, but the stories he tells himself leads him to go into isolation yeah. musically, no matter and, and personally and musically. So well, and, and and he's a guy who had the demons. You know, he had oh, yeah. issues. He was on heroin and got off heroin. He was even after he was cleaned off of her up off of heroin, he was still drinking heavily and doing other drugs and a lot of weed and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, but the album did was very successful. Went to number two in the U.S. Uh, sold over three million copies, and it did make it onto Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time at number 325. We talk about the band uh, at this time. Like I said, her, uh, Clapton was cleaned up off of heroin, which is great because that was really you know doing a number on a lot of people in those days. Mm -hmm. um, but he was drinking heavily, and so the stories about them in the studio, the whole band was you know quite frankly pretty fucked up when they recorded yeah. this yeah they were so um you know and it's kind of like so he went through a couple phases with the albums before this and so this album he kind of i think he saw this as his opportunity to kind of refocus on him as a person and that kind of comes back to that egomaniac thing of, of it, this being eric clapton and not this group um, because on the, the album before this, which was a reason to cry, that album is, was recorded at the, the, the band, the band called the band, <laughs> Eric Clapton recorded no reason to cry at the band studio mm -hmm. with the band and Bob Dylan and about a dozen others. So I think when he got, you know, that whole thing was a big group effort, pretty much. And then this album, he wanted to be more out in front on slow hand. Yeah. You know, in his biography, you know, Clapton's biography. And if you haven't read it and you're a music fan, please do. It's fantastic. But the one thing you'll learn about Clapton through the years, touring, whatever it was, Clapton never really had a band. He would hire guns. He would hire right. people, bass player, drummer. He would just call them up and say, I'm going on tour. Do you want to play with me? It was never a band as in to say a band. He right. always had hired guns. And, you know, that's something that I think points to the genius of Eric Clapton and his just his his musical ability. Wow. Because he's doing everything. He's mm -hmm. writing the songs. He's he's writing the lyrics. He's playing the solos. He's, you know, semi-producing everything and just pulling in all these guys, you know, as studio players. Sure. So that's a lot of pressure. You know, when you have, like we talked about last week with, um, or when we talked about with the Beatles, with Abbey Road, you know, right. you've got four guys, you've got a producer, you got a lot of different influences, a lot of people that bounce stuff off of. It's all on Clapton here. Yeah. And it always has been really. Yep. Yeah. And he's always been good with that. He knows what he wants, you know, and the one thing I will say through the years, he kind of started to develop a lot of really rich relationships with people who started to stay with him longer and longer and longer. In yeah. the last tours I've seen, he worked with the same people a few different times. Well, you know, and I think being cleaned up and sober has a lot to do with that, you know. 
Um, I, I heard, uh, interesting. I, I, I heard Dave Grohl was interviewed about the death of Kurt Cobain mm. and Dave Grohl was not a drug user, uh, you, right. you know, even though he looked like a crazy wild man when he yeah. was in Nirvana with the hair and the drums and everything. But he said it came down to with Kurt, he said there were people who did drugs and people who didn't do drugs. And if you didn't do drugs, you weren't in with the people who did drugs. So with Nirvana, Kurt got kind of isolated with all these people who were heavy into drugs. And those people are generally not the best people in the world in general oh, yeah. as people. Mm. Um, so Dave, kind, you know, Dave Grohl said he was kind of, you know, separate from that group. And, and Kurt was kind of off with all these all these people. So I think that as Clapton sobered up and got yeah. clean and everything, he didn't, you know, he wasn't hanging around with people to party as much. I mean, that's what it really comes down to, right? Oh, well, he's, he's sober over 30 years now. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we can talk about that a little later on. But yeah. So, yeah, life changed. Life shifted for him. I know what it's like. He shifted his life. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you know, and and the result is that I think you get better and you're like you said, you surround yourself with better people and you just yeah. have a better life. And that that reflects in the music. So uh, Eric Clapton said that this band that he had at this time, they were on fire. And they they went into the studio and they banged this out pretty quickly. There was not a lot of rehashing on this. They just played and and recorded and it was good to go because they were so on point. And right. you know, you hear every song on this album is super tight and just there's no, you know, there's no down songs on this. There's nothing, nothing on this album. Even the lesser known songs are still great songs. Well, as as I say many, many times when we go through an album. When you say the lesser known songs, those are the kinds that kind of really attract me. Yeah, I, I love those. You know, and we'll talk about the hits and what they sound like in concert after a while. Yeah, so go ahead. Sure. When we go through the songs, we'll talk. Yeah, so Eric, uh, Eric is working with uh, Glenn Johns on this album as the producer, and mm -hmm. uh, he had worked with the Stones and the Eagles. Yeah. Um, and so Eric kind of liked that because he had worked with British and American artists and he thought that he would be able to manage this kind of uh, conglomeration because I think the guys in the band were all American. Well, Carl Radle was. Yep, I know yeah, that for sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's an English guy with an American band, uh, but they actually recorded this in England. So it was, it was an interesting mix. But again, we have a producer who said he wanted discipline. So that's a recurring theme that we see. And, and you know, he said, Glenn said that he didn't like Clapton and the guys to be just jamming because it wasted studio time. I love that. You know, I had no you jamming. Yeah. yeah how, do you, how do you tell Eric Clapton, don't jam? Mm. <laughs> you know? Well, you, when you think about it, I love that phrase, you know, that when he said no jam, what he really was, was let's get down to business. Let's create an album. Let's make an album. Because think about it. What you're saying is you got a bunch of partiers that one day they'll show up. They'll be top of their game. Right. Let's get this done. And then you can go party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would be horrible as a producer because I'd just say, yeah, keep jamming. I just want to sit there and watch let's this. Do that again. Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't blame you. That's the difference. See, he came in as a businessman. And really, that's the best part. And I think it really was so helpful to Clapton to have someone structuring him and his band where, yeah. like you just said, Clapton probably sat there and said, let's do that again. Like he wasn't a businessman. Right. I always, right. I always talk about the showbiz, right? Everybody loves to do the show, but you should just do the show and stay out of the biz. Bring the people in who do the biz and let them do their magic. 
then right. you do yours. That's great. What you way do to best. Do what you do best, and that's yeah. just what. And that's what they did. So Eric also said that Slowhand came about because he ran into a uh, contractual problem with Atlantic Records. And so he couldn't work with Tom Dowd, who was a staff producer at Atlantic. So he asked Glenn to make the record and that became Slowhand. Yeah. And like I said before, he didn't have to go to America to do it. He was living in England at the time and he could work in London with an English producer and just brought the American you know, musicians over to, to record with him there in London. And like I said, most of the stuff was, was recorded and they'd do a take and record it and it was done live. They had to throw a few vocals on afterwards, but very minor stuff. So this, again, is an album that that just came together and there was no, you know, there was no uh, laboring over it. It just really clicked and, and everything, the band was playing so well. Did you want to talk about slow hand and the meaning behind it or, you know, yeah, let's uh, talk about that. Give us a yeah, story. Because, you know, you know, I can remember. So you were saying 1977, I was just, uh, you know, just finished. When was it released in 77? Uh, November, the end of November. And I just got out of high school. So I was, I just finished up high school. I remember being in Nick Bussinich's house, 68th Street in Guttenberg, and literally showed me the album. And I remember him looking at it and saying, look, it Clapton named his album Slowhand. And he talked about how it was like an oxymoron, you know, like Clapton, of all people, who would ever call him Slowhand? Yeah. So for me, I always thought that was the meaning behind it, right? That it was actually an oxymoron, somebody calling him Slowhand. But... It's the way he plays, if you think about it, right? It is. You he's know? not a, you know, he's an a, 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 one of the best guitar soloist guitar players ever in the history of rock and roll. Um, but he's not a shredder. So he's not, you know, he's not going to mm. give you this, you know, it's going to be in the right notes in the right place. And it's so amazing. So I've seen him a couple times live. And the last time I saw him uh, was probably about uh, seven or eight years ago. And you know he's touring with top musicians. So the other oh, yeah. guitar player in uh, on his band was amazing, yep. but there was such a huge difference in the solos when Clapton played it versus the other guitar player. I mean, it was not even close. There was it was just amazingly different. And this guy who was playing with him was probably better than ninety nine point nine percent of all guitar players out there. Oh, uh, Doyle Brammel was one of them, and Derek Trucks. Yeah, Derek Truck, sure. <laughs> you can't ask for more. But Amazing you know, I, players, right? I, I'll share some experience for me with seeing Clapton. You know, like this week is my turn because I probably, like you, I've seen him 20 times <laughs> minimal, right? Yeah. And through the years. But the one thing about Clapton, I got to just share this because it, it gets me fired up. On stage, when you say guys are shredding, the only way you would know Clapton was shredding was he would tilt his head back just a tiny little bit right. and just and kill it. Oh yeah, kill it! I mean, so, so yeah, that's the whole thing. Was he only knew when he was going in to tear it up is when he tilted his head back a little bit. Yeah, you know, and, it's the way he played. And the sound he gets live is also amazing, you know. And he, he even a, a lot of guys like kind of rely on older guitars to get a really good sound because the older guitars generally sound a lot better than the newer ones. Right. But Clapton plays new strats you know he gets out there with the you know recent models he's not playing his his uh guitars from the 50s and stuff like a lot of bands will do um but he just really his live sound is is amazing yeah just some of my some of the greatest memories i've ever had yeah musically 
And the other thing about the slow hand thing, Clapton kind of liked it because he saw it as like a a, a Western, like a gunslinger type term, there you know, you and so kind of like a badass. And I, I, I like it. I, I think it's, you know, it's it's a really good kind of moniker. And, and he's held on to it over the years and embraced it. Hey, listen, you go from being called God to slow hand. You, yeah. it's a great, <laughs> That's yeah. right. You know what I mean? You can't beat that. Some, yeah. Something's going right. <laughs> and and in, back in the day in the 60s, there, you know, there was graffiti in London that said oh. Clapton is God, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. Everywhere. So they, people yeah. were super into Clapton back in the day. All right. So let's jump right into the songs here. We're going to kick it off. Mm -hmm. with the album opener which is probably clapton's most famous song i would think that most people know yeah This song is uh, probably a lot of people already know this. So this is a JJ Kale song, so it's mm -hmm. it's a cover song basically, and there are a bunch of cover songs on this album, and so the JJ Kale version is very similar. It's not much different, you know. Right. He Clapton Claptonized it, but yeah. he stuck pretty true to the original. And uh, JJ Kale, for people who don't know, I guess would you classify him as blues or country or you know, it, it's a great question. He's a Southern country blues guy. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't know J.J. Kale, listen to his music. Extremely talented guitar player. Just yeah. amazing sound. Yeah, and so you can hear, I think you, you know, he is, I think he's got, I, I would call him a blues guy with a country tinge, kind of. You know, you can hear the country in it and in, in some of his phrasings and yeah. things like that. You know, to be honest with you, I would think you would just label him J.J. Kale. Yeah. And I, and I think most people <laughs> did, because if you ever saw him play, he was he was a different kind of guy. He would you couldn't really shoo him into anywhere in rock and roll. He was J.J. Kale. Yeah. And, you know, some of his songs were created by some of the greatest. You know, Call Me to Breeze is a J.J. Kale song. Right. Uh, bringing it back. The Kansas cover is a J.J. Kale song. Oh, really? Oh, and I didn't so, know that one. Huh? Did oh, you ever yeah. Did you ever see Kale live or? I never saw JJ Kale live. I, I only saw him playing on uh, when Crossroads, Clapton brought him around on Crossroads a couple of different times. Oh, okay. And I have the recordings of it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I would I didn't, I got introduced to JJ Kale through cocaine, the song. So I had huh. no idea who he was. Okay. But now I do, and I'm glad I do. Well, I think that was the entry. If anybody's aware of JJ Kale, that's how they know him yeah. from the writing cocaine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I said before, Clapton was just off of heroin, still drinking a lot and smoking weed and maybe even doing coke. I don't know for sure, but there was mm. a lot of, they were messed up in the studio a lot. But the song Cocaine is really against cocaine. So it's talking about how bad it is. Right. 
And so Clapton kind of got frustrated over the years because people <laughs> embraced it as this huge, yay, cocaine song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Woohoo! Cocaine! <laughs> cocaine! <laughs> and he was like, no, damn no. it, that's not right. No. So yeah. there, there was a while where he stopped playing it live. And I mean, yeah. how do you do that? It's your biggest hit. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's an overstatement. It's probably his biggest solo hit. Right. Uh, but how do you take it out of the set? So then he started saying things like dirty cocaine live and stuff like that to try and reinforce the that it's bad, you know, don't it's do so it. So funny. <laughs> I've heard him do it. I've seen him do both versions. Yeah. That, so he'll just rip into that dirty cocaine. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think people think, hey, it was the 70s, end of the 70s, early 80s. He was just super into coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, many people were. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you know, it was never, it never a thing for me. Never got into it, but uh, I definitely saw a lot of it around. Um, uh, it was around. Yeah. So uh, I, also, I like the smell of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Just a joke. <laughs> the smell of it. There you go. So, <laughs> It took a little while to kick in. It did. All right. I haven't There's had any cocaine this morning. <laughs> There's our outtakes. <laughs> and please use the one where you just said I haven't had any cocaine this morning. That'll be our this opener. Is, this is great. This is great. All right. We digress, folks. Yeah, Go a little ahead. bit. Little so bit. While, while they're recording this album during the sessions, Eric Clapton actually went to go see J.J. Kale play a mm -hmm. show. Yeah. And Clapton got up on stage and actually played cocaine with JJ while, you know, while they were in the sessions recording the song for Clapton. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, they became uh, through the years very good friends. Yeah. Very good yeah. friends. Uh, the other interesting thing is that Cocaine was not a single off this album. So even though it's probably the most well-known song on the album, it was never released as a single. Yeah. You know, as we were talking, I said to you, you know, the the other cuts on the album became so interesting to me because I I have to share this with you. This song has been so overplayed that it's just it's like sometimes you can't even keep it on. It's great live. Listen, when it comes out live, the crowd's rocking, the tune's great. But man, oh man, back in the seventies and eighties, this song played every five minutes. Man, it yeah. was just one of yeah, it was one of those songs that you were like, okay, great song. But you know what? Everybody did that back in the WNEW days and things right. like that, you know, our radio station, New York City. Songs got overplayed, and this was certainly one of them. Yeah, definitely. Well, radio playlists are always tight, so you hear the same songs over and over again. It gets very yeah. boring, and, and it can ruin songs for you. It's had I've had that effect with myself on some songs on radio. Uh, oh, no just doubt. Be just because you just get sick of them. So let's move on to Wonderful, wonderful Tonight. tonight. Wondering what clothes to wear. She 
So this song, obviously a, a love song to, do you know who? Um, Patty Boyd. Yes, you're yes. right. Ding, ding, well, ding. Guy, <laughs> he was so, addicted to Patty Boyd. I'll talk yeah, about that. So yeah. we, I, that's what I want to do a whole episode on Patty Boyd because Patty Boyd was the wife of George Harrison. George Harrison, yeah. Eric Clapton stole her from George Harrison. Yeah, Harrison, and then uh, Clapton wrote Layla about her, yeah. and also this song, and yeah. Harrison wrote songs about her. So yeah. there's something about Patty Boyd. Yeah, I've seen pictures. She's a pretty lady, you know. Yeah. Uh, must be an awesome person because they they both love her so much. But just crazy how much influence she had over the '70s rock and roll scene, right? Uh, I just watched a uh, 60 Minutes interview with Clapton, and. Uh, they asked him if he was in love with Patty Boyd. And he said, I'm not sure. I was addicted to everything back then. And I always felt like it was more of an addiction. So really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting way to look at it. But I understand yeah. the concept. Sure. Like everything in his life that he liked, he liked to the extreme. Yeah. And she just happened to be one of them. But isn't love an addiction? I mean, you you know, you're you're around somebody, you want to be with them all the time. I mean, I think it always is, right? Well, yeah, that's a great or do question. You, or, or or is the or is he saying that it was an addiction to his detriment in some way? Next week, I think we should have Doctor Phil on because <laughs> I, I, I don't have that answer about love and addiction. Okay, because <laughs> I can tell you this: I didn't love addiction, so. We'll <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that anybody bit. does. Yeah, so you know, uh, after the fact. <laughs> it's fun while it lasted. Yeah. So th the interesting thing is so Layla, which is also about Patty yeah. Boyd, was a real howl kind of, you know, Layla. It's very ag not aggressive, but it's it's this, you know, kind of angsty type of thing. And then here is this gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful song that is also about the same woman. Yeah. So it's just amazing that one person can be a muse for, for so many great musicians. Yeah, oh, really? Think about it. But musical note, concert, one of the greatest moments ever. You know, went from Wonderful Tonight right into Layla. I remember oh, one of the wow. nights huh, that's I, took, funny. I, took, I took my kids and literally he rolled right from one right into the other. Wow. And <laughs> you want to just talk about getting a, you know, a, a group into a frenzy. It yeah. Worked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, Layla is a whole different level. And let's let's not forget back in my day, this was a big wedding song. Oh my god. Oh yeah, right. It must have been oh, everybody's wedding song, right? <laughs> How do I look? You look wonderful. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the story behind this song. So uh Eric and Patty were gonna go to a Buddy Holly Buddy Holly tribute that Paul wow. McCartney put together. And wow. so Clapton was, you know, waiting for her to get dressed. Like, you know, you wait for your, your woman and she's getting ready and she's asking, you know, how do I look? Am I ready? Blah, blah, blah. And so he's sitting there playing around with his guitar and she's trying on these dresses and, you know, she's freaking out about her hair and her clothes. And he, she comes downstairs and he goes, hey, listen to this. And he had the whole song written. Wow. Like he wrote it while he's waiting for his wife to get ready. How insane is that? Dude, you could write a book in the time it takes for your wife to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, again, this stuff Edit just, you know, we, we, but go ahead. 
again that we talk about like we talked about george harrison and how this these songs just came out of him and this same thing is happening Clapton yeah. here yeah so uh an amazing amazing backstory um you know the other songs that patty inspired and we you know we talked about her as a muse so george harrison something and for you blue were both written about patty clapton had layla why does love have to be so sad and forever man is mm. uh, allegedly inspired by Patty Boyd as well. Some terrific songs right there, huh? Yeah. And so the single, Wonderful Tonight, was a single. It was a hit and made it to number 16 in the U.S. And again, this is during, you know, this, this time of all these mega hits that were out there. So challenging times on the charts, and he still had a lot of success. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac really had charge of the airways back then, though, for sure. Oh, yeah, they dominated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's take a listen to Lay Down Sally. And this is even kind of a JJ Kale style riff, right? It certainly is. The funky fill. Yeah, right. There is nothing that is wrong in wanting you to stay here with me. I know you've got somewhere to go. You make yourself at home and stay with me And don't you ever leave Lay down salad and rest here in my arms Don't you think you want someone to talk to Lay down salad, no need to leave so soon I've been trying all night long just to talk to you so this song, again, another song about ladies, you know, there's a lot of rock music about girls and, you know, just trying to get this girl to stay in bed with them. And and uh, the thing I like about it, it's not typical of Clapton's very, you know, and Cla we, like we said, Clapton's a very blues based guy. This yeah. one's a little bit more country western. There's a little shuffle in there. You know, it's got uh, got a whole a whole different sound for Clapton. It's got a little bop to it. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And even Eric said that uh, it's as close as an English Englishman could get to being J.J. Cal. So, I, you yeah. know, he was definitely kind of leaning into that and, and borrowing or copying J.J.'s style of, of guitar a little bit. Dude, you can start to see his personality is what I'm talking about. When he meets someone and likes someone, right? All of a sudden, like he was in yeah. love with the blues. He didn't just like the blues, you know, Robert Johnson, right? He didn't, once he met J.J. Kale, he was possessed. He was hooked on J.J. Right. Kale. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch, but this is how his life was. Whatever he met, whatever he liked, he wanted to be or do. So and he went in 110%. You know, always, and, and from always. everything, from the drugs to the women to the music, it all it's all this is a guy who doesn't do things halfway. It's 100, nope. 110 percent every time. And a little thing on this song, it takes me back. You got to remember, these were my days of hanging out, listening to music. Another one of those songs, a tremendous amount of airplay tremendous on the radio oh yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. you know it's it just so it's so happy and 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 joyous i like it I, it's just such a great song mm. uh interesting fact marcy levy one of the backup singers actually helped him write this yeah and she's the the voice that you hear on there uh and she had actually toured with bob seeger be before working starting to work with eric clapton in 1973. Ah. 
So that female voice, and I think the female voice on his songs, especially on this album, really, they kind of, they give it another degree, another, you know, there's another kind of level to them. I, I love it. It's a nice little uh, counter to his, you know, he's got, and he's got a more of a, bar, I guess it's a baritone type voice, a little bit lower. So it's a good, you know, again, we talk, a lot of times we talk about like quiet to loud and the contrast between sounds. And that male female voice can do that same have that same effect sometimes. Now you'd mentioned about Clapton singing and his voice and baritone. You'll hear it in a few of the songs. You really listen. He was really like Flemmy. He um he felt at a time in his career, right around here, probably before he was making this album, that he could no longer sing. He started to tell himself stories that he started to believe. He didn't even think he could play anymore. Yeah. Or sing anymore. You know, he yeah. was really, he was down and out. So well, he also he also was a heavy smoker too, right? I mean, everybody smoked cigarettes yeah. back then, I guess. So that yeah. doesn't help. No, um, they were just you know he was destroying himself all over. So you know you wake up and you got to go sing. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. No, I don't feel like. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's let's take a listen to uh, next time you see her. To me, this, this sounds a lot like the band, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm saying, you, know, you, got, you, got, you got your slide in there, you know? Yeah. So. She got everything a man could ever ask for. She is lovely, brighter than a morning star. She is so beautiful. Portrait of a sunset She got everything Including my yoga Next time you see her Tell her that I love her Next time you see her Tell her that I care Next time you see her Tell her that I love her Next time I see you Boy, you better be well so that that line right there, this is a this is a real Jekyll and Hyde song. So yeah. next time you see her, tell her I love her, mm. and then uh, it's he has this kind of threatening line also to the same person, <laughs> right? And at one point he says, "If you see her again, I will surely kill you." And, and it's Whoops. such a it's such musically it's so happy and oh. and like I said, I I I think it sounds a little like the band there, you know, mm. that kind of vibe. And the band is always kind of upbeat and, you know, a little, little mellow, but upbeat and happy. And, and then there's this, I love her and don't mess with her <laughs> kind of thing. So well, think of, think about it, right? What we're talking about a lot of conflict going on in his life between himself and inside his head. This is all conflict, right? You're thinking about what's going on. There's nothing. It's just smooth and things are going good. There's a right. conflict, right? And I just wanted to share this with you. You know, you know me, I, uh, I always like the songs, the B-sides, and this song is incredible, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. This, to me, was the hit off the album. I just love this song. Great song. Yeah, real good. Amazing what it takes to become the hit song off the album, but to me, that's the one I'd put on. Yeah, yeah, so good. So let's take a listen to the next song on the album, uh, which is We're All The Way. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
There's no cause to think that I won't stay Haven't I been with you all the way There's no time like now to make amends After all, we are more than friends This is another one of those cover songs that we were talking about, originally done by Don Williams, who was mm-hmm. an American uh, country singer. And, you know, I think it's beautiful. It's pretty. I love the two, again, the two voices, I think, just totally adds another dimension to it. Yeah, Don, I just, like I said, listen to the whole album, folks. <laughs> Put the hits on the back end. This is just a great album because of these secondary songs, man. That's a great song. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah. Love everything about it. So good. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's dive into the core, which is again one of the legendary songs. Legendary. On it. And here you got to listen to the guitars. So the other guitar player is kind of bobbing and weaving with Clapton, and the vocals are kind of doing the same thing. So let's take a listen. in there. So this song, mm. the original title was The Riff because it's a fucking amazing riff. <laughs> I mean, I wonder why. Yeah, you know, so they had it called the riff, then it was called burning hot core, and then finally they cut it back to just the core. Um, it's a longer song. It's it's a, almost nine minutes long, so unusual for Clapton. Yeah, uh, you know, hey, although he's had some longer songs in the past, you know, with Layla is pretty long, uh, but on this album, it's definitely the longest song. Uh, and there's also some horns in the background there, so uh, that's not something Clapton did a lot of. There weren't a lot of horns in in his music, um, right. 
And it's interesting because you had other bands at the time, like we talked about, where where you have the Stones like bringing in horns at this time, and you know, in in this Billy late seventies, Billy Joel had horns, yeah, yeah, sure. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff. That again, Eric Clapton kind of sticks true to Eric, who Eric Clapton is. He doesn't, he really doesn't change with the times much. I, you could probably say that he did a little bit in the eighties when he worked with Phil Collins a lot on some of those albums. You know, they were, I guess, more poppy albums, but he, but for the most part, Clapton is always Clapton, right? Oh, and if you listen to the core, right, the riff, awesome, but it's laid on top of a very simplistic song. The rest of the music, there's absolutely nothing to it. Yeah, it's just oh, yeah. beautiful rock and roll, nice right. and easy, right? Set pace, and then they just throw it in there. It's amazing. Well, and often the best songs are the simplest songs. You know, it's amazing how many Always. more simple songs are huge popular hits than these kind of over the top complicated things that you get from, you know, crazy bands like ELP or King Crimson or, or, or you know, some of these progressive type bands where it gets super complicated with 8 billion things happening at once. Long live uh, Chuck Berry. Yeah, right. It's a lot of it's a lot of basic basic riffs and and really simple beats, but it all comes together so well. Absolutely. Great song. So let's talk about May You Never. This is another uh cover song. So again, you know, this is a perfect example of that what we just said, that simplicity. Yeah. It's just like the drums are like, do, 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 and that's it, yeah. you know? It's just hanging out. Hey, I want to throw you something on this song. And if, if you yeah. want to listen to it again, replace Clapton's voice with Keith Richards. That is a Keith Richards song if I ever heard one. If you there think you go. about it, we all, dude, I was just thinking about it. I go, that's a song Keith Richards has got to cover. It's perfect <laughs> for him because the vocal changes just like Keith Richards. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to so, talk to Keith, see if I can get him to cover that. Yeah, one. set that up. Yeah. <laughs> He'll take so, my call. <laughs> he always does. I mean, you know, you're Tommy Elkin. Damn it. Come on. He's inside the album right now. Yeah. He didn't even know it. He's probably the one listening in Belgium. <laughs> Amsterdam. <laughs> Amsterdam. So that song, May You Never, was originally done by John Martin. He's kind of a guy who did folk, jazz, rock, and the blues all kind of mixed up together. Mm. But it's still, to me, you know, if if you didn't know it wasn't an Eric Clapton song, it sounds like an Eric Clapton song. It sounds like songs right. he's written. So, uh, you know, it's just such a great fit for him. Great song. Yeah. Again, the B-sides, baby. Right. And this is, you know, stuff that's that's not as uh, well known. And, uh, you know, at the end of the album, I don't know if people get to it all the time. <laughs> Side two. <laughs> but personally, and this is just me talking to you and not everybody else out there, though. <laughs> the, the fact is, 
when we go through these albums, the greatest thing that you and I get is we get to really listen to them, you know, and that's what I remind everybody, you know, stop just putting them on, take these albums, sit down one day, separate yourself and listen to them. Right. It blows your mind, man. It's just well, great, it, great. You know, these albums, when we first listened to them, they were mostly on record, you know, and you listen to the whole thing. And so this kind of brings us back into that zone where we're, we're enjoying the whole album and not just the, the, you know, the super popular songs. No one will ever understand what it was like to try and get the needle in between two songs. No, <laughs> it wasn't worth the effort. You just <laughs> listen to the bad songs because Wherever, you don't want to. Yeah, you couldn't do that. It was driving yeah. you crazy. So this next song is Mean Old Francis. And this again is another cover, cover song by a country guy uh, named Arthur Crudup. Crudup. Very bluesy though for country, right? Very. Again. Right. Yeah, super simple on the drums. This song too is, I mean, it's a, it's a 12 bar blues song, you know, it's that one, four, five, you know, with the chord, the, that's the, the chords are the one chord, the four card, the five chord, typical blues, you know, uh, setup for the song, but Arthur Crudup was a country guy. So it just shows you how much crossover there is between country blues and rock, you know, they're interchangeable almost, even though they're very distinguishable as music well, types. You know, we talked about it the other day when it comes down to it, right? It could be punk and new wave. It's rock and roll. Right. It's rock and roll. And, all, and, you know, and the blues is where it all started. Yeah. You know, so musically, everything started with the blues and then it made its way up and became rock and roll. And, you know, we can look back at the lineage where it all came from. Clapton is not without, you know, his legends and the people that he followed and loved, right? Sure. It's what created him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we benefit from it. <laughs> oh, well, listen, give me more slide any day. I love yeah. slide. So. <laughs> I really do. So the last song on the album is actually an instrumental, and it's called Peaches and Diesel. Let's take a listen. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect example of Clapton playing the right notes at the right time. 
It's not a, you know, it's not a kind of thing. It's the solo is perfect throughout it. <laughs> and this song was actually the B-side to Wonderful Tonight. Let me ask you, do you have any other, I've always had my opinion about this song, so I don't know if it fits or if you yeah, let's tell, tell me it, what but, you think. You know, well, Clapton was uh, great friends with Dwayne Allman. And uh, Dwayne Allman got killed by a peach truck on a motorcycle. And really? that's why, and that's why, yeah. So that's why Eat a Peach that. was the Allman Brothers. The next album they made without Dwayne was called Eat a Peach. Huh. And so no Dwayne Allman got killed. Oh, yeah, he got killed riding a motorcycle. So Peaches and Diesel truck, Peaches, huh. is this, there is this, I, I'll do some research, but I put it together all the years. I just figured it was his tribute to Dwayne Allman. You're probably they were best, right. They were best friends from Derek and the Dominoes. And right. you know, I'm putting that, putting those out, 461 Ocean Boulevard. You know, you want to talk about slide guitar. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an interesting fact. So there's there's something else interesting about this song. And as I'm listening to it, I'm hearing... It was a B-side for Wonderful Tonight, but I'm also kind of hearing Wonderful Tonight. L listen to this right here. Go ahead. Da -na -na -na. Da -na -na -na. Right? It's crazy. It's like, and you know, you know, he knows what he's doing there. It's like incorporated into a little bit of that riff is incorporated into this song. It might have been his first laying out of Wonderful Tonight. It may have been, yeah. You know, when they sure. put, when, yeah, when they're structuring the, uh, the the music, a lot of times they just record and then it changes as it grows. So that's pretty cool that you picked that up, but you could hear it, you know, certainly yeah. playing along with it. Yeah. Yeah. So. What a great album. So one of my favorite stories, you know, I'm in the garden and I always would look and see Clapton, right? If right. Clapton, I'd see Clapton, I'd say, man, it'd be great if B.B. King could come out. I'd go see B.B. King. I'd say, man, how great would it be, you know, if Clapton would come out? I always had this dream. I always kept it alive. 20 years, 25 years. So I take my wife, my sister and my sister's husband and we go to the garden and we see Crossroads. So it's Jimmy Vaughn, Robert Cray, Clapton in an empty chair. And I'm sitting there and I hear Clapton walk up to the mic and say, ladies and gentlemen, the king of the blues, Mr. B.B. King. Oh, right? Nice. So, right? I, I, I literally done. You wonder my love for rock and roll. <laughs> I started to cry. Yeah. To cry. It was like, I it feel took that. 20, 25 years, man. And there <laughs> it was. You know, it was one of the greatest moments. So Clapton had such a love for B.B. You know, and it was yeah. that's what I love about Clapton. And I want to say this. We were talking about J.J. Carroll earlier. Clapton always took care of the people who took care of him. At the end, he would take J.J. Kale out with him. They recorded an album together at the end when J.J. Kale was getting a little older and mm -hmm. a little sicker. So he always put, you know, he always put money on these people's plates later on in life, yeah. which was really, really good thing about him. Yeah. So great album. Great being with you. You want to close it out? Yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's it. That's Slow Hand by Eric Clapton. We're going to take a break next week. So Christmas is coming up, no show. But then we're going to come back and we're going to start the new year with the first album by Van Halen. So it's Van Halen by Van Halen. Oh, I got some stories there. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> All, All right, right thanks, everybody. Job, Subscribe, like, review, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Uh -huh.